Hi, this is Yuri Nair. Welcome to the Awkward Mind Podcast. If you're here, you must be interested in developing your mind and improving your life through self-education. Unfortunately, developing your mind can be a real struggle when you're constantly being bombarded with negative digital noise from those pesky devices all around us. To tell you the truth, I felt frustrated myself until I discovered three simple steps to declutter my mind from that digital noise. And now I wanted to share those steps with you in the hope that it'll give you the tools to tune out the noise so that you can better focus on the things that will nurture and improve your mind. For that, I put together a free video series that walks you through the simple process of decluttering your mind from the digital noise. Are you ready to get rid of the negative clutter for good and tune into your real mind? Then head to awkwardmind.com to grab your free video series now and start your journey to a better mind today. And now, let's get on to the show. It's a very, very um, tortured way of thinking and where the human being is really not taken into consideration. So if you think that you're lacking freedom in the United States, come and live here and see what it is to lack freedom. Go and live in Cuba, you know. Uh, go and live in any of the, of the socialist countries in, you know, Russia and, you know, any of those and see what it's like. And also the social unrest you have is created by some third force, which I have no idea where it comes from or who they are, but that is not something that is spontaneous. It is all created. Every little bit that has happened has been created because the socialist minded people do not want anyone to be successful. They want, them, they want everything for themselves and nothing for anybody else. So it's, it's that saying that says, what is, is mine is mine and what is yours is mine also. That's their mindset. So imagine if they're gonna let you have anything once they're in power. This is the Awkward Mind Podcast. I'm Yuri Nair. My guest today is Diana Kaufman. Born and raised in Venezuela, Diana currently lives in Caracas, the Venezuelan capital. She speaks four languages, a mother and a grandmother. Diana is an independent education consultant and the host of the College Advice in Nanoseconds podcast. Her prior work included her family's retail interior design store and a vacation house rental business. To share her story, and inspire all of us to continue to learn and grow. It is my pleasure to welcome Diana to the Awkward Mind Podcast. Welcome, Diana. Hi, Yuri. Thank you so much for having me on the Awkward Mind Podcast. I'm very excited to be here, and I'm sure we're going to have a very dynamic and fun, uh, um, how do you say it, in, in interview. <laughs> I was going to say it in Spanish, <laughs> but it's interview. Yeah, so great, great to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. No, I appreciate it. And yeah, I think we'll have, I, I prefer to just call them uh, chats. I think it's less, less formal. And <laughs> absolutely. I'm excited to dive in because, you know, with everything going on in the world, it's a wonderful opportunity to be able to connect with people from all around the world. And I know Venezuela has a, a, had a lot of its challenges. And I think there's probably some preconceived notions in the U.S. just based on how it's being portrayed here that I'd love to, for us to unpack as part of our conversation. So with that, Diana, why don't we start sort of 
earlier on in your life. What was it like growing up? Oh, uh, in, in Venezuela was a magical country when I was a, a, a little girl and a teenager and even a young adult and a, and a young married mom. I mean, I, I love my country. And at that time, it, I was sure that I lived in something similar to what we feel when we go to Disney World, because everywhere you looked, there was something to do. It was a, a capital city with, you know, all the embassies. Uh, you heard, you know, five, six, seven, ten languages in one day. I mean, it was a very cosmopolitan city. You ate divinely. So it really had had... Uh, as far as nature and, and some things, it, it was really fun to be here. Of course, we didn't have that much, you know, cultural life, but some things came, you know, uh, theater came and, and um, orchestras came. So, you know, they built some uh, marvelous uh, concert halls. So there was a lot of building going on also at that time. So it was a very exciting time to be here. And then uh, we started discovering the, the country. We would either drive or fly to different areas. And I mean, it's so beautiful, the, the nature, or at least it was. I don't know if the regime has managed to ruin that. I know there are areas that they've ruined. Um, but it was just, and it was just, I mean, you would tell, you would say, here, let's go here. Boy, I'd be ready. Everybody be ready. Our, you know, bags ready into the, into the car or the Jeep or the plane or whatever it was. And we went. So it was very exciting and very stimulating. And, and um, I, of course, I was in, in an American school at the time and learning English. And also my school was excellent. So um, it was, it was a, I, I, that I also felt was like Disney World, you know, because I walked into this absolutely beautiful school. They would bring in all of the books from the States, the Crayolas from the States. I mean, you know, all of that. And uh, I mean, to me, and of course, my mother who had come from uh, Europe right before the war, I mean, she thought I was in Disney World. She couldn't believe, you know, the wonderful books and all the things that they, they gave us at the school. So of course, I, I adored my school, you know, and I adored education and, and, and books, the way the school presented the books to us, they were um, they gave us the textbooks and they said we had to return them at the end of, of the school year in exactly the same condition. Otherwise, they would charge, you know, this horribly expensive amount. And so, of course, I mean, you know, books became precious gold. And, you know, we treat them, at least in my case, I would treat them like, you know, it was the most wonderful thing in the world. And I still adore books, you know. So it's, it's a, it was a, a great learning about learning excuse the repetition and uh and and just having that possibility to to read books and to you know uh, have such excellent teachers also so it was very exciting yeah that's amazing because it was it's a relatively well i guess compared to maybe the united states which in itself is a relatively young country but venezuela is relatively young when it comes to its independence so obviously there's some growing pains there and Unfortunately, yeah. some some new challenges in the last twenty years, which yes, we'll get yes. into. But so, how how did you wind up, Dana, in your in your family business? Was that just something that just naturally, just as you grew up, you just kind of followed your family's path? Actually, it came. I had a very uh, overbearing mother, and you know things had to be done just so. And so you get married at such and such an age, you know, and uh, that's why I never went to college because at that time my mother believed only the boys should be educated and the girls should get married and have children and stay home. 
But then she decided that the stay home business for her daughter wasn't really what it was about. And she said, we have to start a business. And so off I went with my father to Italy. He was going to Italy for something. And at that time, Italy produced the most wonderful ceramics, uh, meaning, you know, uh, dishware, uh, decorative things. And so I went off to buy. I didn't know anything. I went off to buy and sent. And we opened a store. <laughs> my father gave us half of his uh, car dealership or one quarter of his car dealership. And that's how I started in the business. Um, and, and because it was, she said that then after, since I was married and I had two children, now I had to work. I couldn't sit home after she decided that I needed to sit home. So, so then my sister-in-law, who was married to my brother, and I started the business. She was a designer and I, I just worked <laughs> and used my creative talents, you know, as best I could. Actually, I was very good with PR at that time. So that's how it went. And it was a, we, I, we were in the business for 30 years. So uh, it was fun because we traveled twice a year to the States, particularly New York, and twice a year to Italy and France and Belgium to buy for the store. So that was fun. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I know you love, to, you love to travel. So do you, but I guess now it's, it's a bit more challenging to do so. I mean, outside of COVID. Well, uh, no, until COVID, it was still possible to, to travel outside of Venezuela. It was a little bit challenging because uh, so many airlines were not coming anymore. Uh, but I still, and I still managed, I traveled, the last time I traveled was in November of last year. And, uh, and before that, in, during the summer, I'd been to Europe. So, I mean, you could get out. It was no problem. It just took a little longer to get here. And then, of course, with COVID, we are totally shut down. The airports are not open. So uh, apparently they're starting to say that they're going to open in December or at the end of November, which would be very nice because there's a lot of people trapped outside of Venezuela who cannot return, including my son. My son is, is trapped in Miami. So um, he's been there. Uh, he left right before the COVID and then that, the shutdown started and he's been there since. And you can get back on what they call the humanitarian flights and European or Americans can leave with the humanitarian flights. And it's just so much red tape and you need to spend about three weeks in the Dominican Republic before you can return, you know, because it, it, they, they cancel the flights or they put on other people, even though, you know, whatever. So it's, it's very complicated. So my son just said, I'm waiting till they open. And then, and then I'll return. So, and that's what most people are trying are doing. That's fair. Although I guess there could yeah. be worse places to get stuck than Miami. Oh, well, I mean, he's, he's in, you know, perfect uh, conditions because he's staying with my sister-in-law uh, and, and, you know, they, they have, she has a lovely apartment and I mean, come on, <laughs> it's the United States <laughs> and Miami. So, you know, we have family, we have friends. I mean, what more can you want? <laughs> No, so yeah absolutely no that, that's that's good and you know but i hope of course he gets to get come home soon yes he hopes so too that's true i mean he says mom this is wonderful i mean i i really can only be thankful for this but i want to get home and he's right no absolutely and so then for someone who you know either because of your mom or you know other maybe reasons as well didn't go to college why college counseling? Because now you basically you know, right, coach kids through that college acceptance process. 
Well, actually, it, it, it all started because my daughter has a preschool, had a preschool many, many you know, 18, 18, 20 years ago. And uh, she taught also in, in the morning, she taught the preschool kids. And in the afternoon, she taught the, the Venezuelan children English. But she likes the little ones. And she had a whole group of cousins. There were five girl cousins who started with her when they were three years old. And now they were 11. And they all, you know, they would sit there and look at each other and they'd say, oh, Wendy, we're so bored with you here. And Wendy would say, oh, yes, I'm bored with you too. And so then she told me one, one June saying, okay, mom, I'm sending the, cousin, the five cousins over in September. I said, Wendy, I don't teach. I have no idea of how to teach. She says, yes, you do. You take Time Magazine and you read it with them. You take Glamour Magazine, Vogue Magazine. I don't care what you do. You read with them and you, um, you know, just make the, have their vocabulary improve, have their speaking skills improve. You'll be perfect at it. So that's how I started. And of course, the five cousins kept growing. And then they said one, one year, they said, oh, we're going to uh, summer, sc summer school. They, they were going to go to one of the summer programs for high school students in a school, not, not the university. And we need the TOEFL. Do you teach a TOEFL? Sure, I teach the TOEFL. And so I ordered the book, studied every night, and taught the TOEFL. Then they said, oh, we're going to college. We need the SAT. Do you teach the SAT? Sure, I'll, I'll teach only the English part. I'm not going to teach the math. Okay, bought the book. Studied. <laughs> and so from that, then, oh, Diana, we're going to college. Uh, one, uh, one day, one of the mothers said, oh, my, I have two children applying to college, and my college counselor has just dropped me. She's gone. I don't know. I can't find her. And, and Wendy says, oh, send them to my mother. She knows about college counseling. And so then here comes this woman with two huge baskets full of papers, one for each child, and dumps them on my desk and said, handle it. I'm going off to a, a business uh, trip with my husband your problem. And off she went. <laughs> so that's how I started. Oh, I said, oh, sure, I can do it. What are you going to do? You know, and so then all I did was spend my time on the phone with admissions officers who were wonderful in all the universities. You know, I'd say, oh, I'm a newbie. Can you help me? Sure. And then I took an IEC certificate at the UC Irvine. Um, and, uh, and that's how I became an independent educational consultant. And then now I'm doing the career planning and counseling course at UC Berkeley and just keep getting learning more. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So you, you never really shied away from challenges or from wanting to learn. So it sounds like you're just a life, lifetime learner. I am, I am. Yes, because of course, at one point I felt that there was so much missing because I didn't have, you know, a, a, a university or college education. Mm -hmm. And so I had to make up for it somehow, you know, so. Right. Yeah. And, and do you feel like you've, you've succeeded, like that you have made up for it? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. By now. <laughs> <laughs> After doing yeah. and learning so many things and then mm -hmm. also, you know, going into the whole consciousness movement and, mm -hmm. and you know, uh, learning all about, uh, food and, and alternative health and all that. So it's, it's all come together and it's, it's, oh yes, absolutely. Very complete, very complete. Thank you. That's a very nice question. Yeah, absolutely. And so speaking of consciousness, what made you interested in that and how did, how did that all come about? 
Well, I was, after I got married and had two children and started working and, and I kept saying, is this really what life is, is all about? Is it only this, you know, taking care of kids and a house and husband working, uh, traveling? I mean, it was all very nice, but I said, there's something missing. And, and I was always amazed at people who would go to church and uh, I'm a Catholic and they go to mass and you'd see this absolute amazing devotion. And I couldn't understand devotion. You know, I couldn't understand grace. I didn't know, I didn't know what it meant. And, and somehow um, somebody talked to me about uh, an American who was coming down to teach meditation and, you know, everything about uh, health and, uh, you know, diet, proper diets and all that. And I said, oh, I'll go. And that's how I started and just um, spent 10 years with this teacher and, uh, and learned a lot. Um, made a lot of changes. And then also, you know, having uh, had three ways of growing up because I was a Venezuelan and I was also, you know, from a European family and I went to an American school. So I remember when I came back from being in, in high school, I sat in my car one day and I said, I was 18 or 19 years old. I said, well, what am I? You know, am I a Venezuelan? Am I an American? Or am I an Italian? Because of course that was or a European. And, and what happened after 10 years is that those three cultures went like that, you know, and, and, and then I did learn about devotion. I did learn what grace meant, you know, and I, I really was, was blessed with having studied for 10 years very, very intensely. And then now I just, uh, why I call my uh, podcast college advice in nanoseconds, because I think we work in nanosecond segments, whether it's consciousness or our work or, you know, being with people. But for me, it's nanosecond to nanosecond. So that's how that came about too. Yeah, that's, I think that's such a beautiful concept, right? Because it's, it's really a very clear and specific way of saying moment to moment. Yes. But it's really defining. We don't realize how short those moments really are. Exactly. And when I found that the, the word, the nanosecond, I said, wow, this is great. Then I, which was a very short time. And then there's also what they call the Planck second, which is even smaller or shorter, whatever you want to call it. But then the Planck second isn't quite as fun as saying nanosecond. <laughs> so I don't use that. So, yeah, but, no, absolutely. And, and I felt moment to moment was a little bit too long. I thought that was too much time. <laughs> so yeah. nanosecond is much more explicit, as you said. Right. Because we only have a nanosecond, so you need something concise to express it. That's right. Yeah. That's right. No, that's, Good that's question. Great. Good question. No, yeah. that's great. I love that. So then I guess speaking of nanoseconds, I mean, I know a little bit because obviously we shared the podcasting journey together. But for the listeners, how did that come about? Because, I mean, you're basically putting out, as I understand it, the work that you're doing one-on-one -on -one with students, you're trying to get it to a broader audience now and get at some of these topics. Well, because we are, I am in Venezuela and we are under a regime, it just felt that everything was, was so closed, you know. And then when I, I uh, happened to uh, go and learn about the podcasting, and, and the course and everything, I said, oh, wow, this is a way to open up to the world at many different levels and to many different people. And so I really wanted my experience of, you know, teaching and also counseling uh, students to 
at least get out there. I mean, I've worked very hard and, and I love my work and I really, really like working with, with you know, my, my students, whether they are, you know, in sophomore, junior or senior year, or even in college, I work with college students also who want to transfer and, and you know, whatever they need. So that was a great way to, to open up to the world. I mean, it just all of a sudden seemed, you know, wow, can you imagine, you know, I mean, how many people can maybe, uh, you, you know, learn or even if, if there's one little thing that I say or that the, one of my students says or one of my guests says and that helps them. Wow, that's amazing. So that's, that's what's exciting about the podcasting. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. For me, I say that if, you know, if we can impact even one person, Per episode, then I've, you know we've done our job. So hopefully, we're yeah, doing that's that right. here. Yeah, and it's so exciting because, like, you have a very different podcast than mine, and 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 so many different things that we can learn. You know, in a short time, even maybe if you don't listen to a whole uh, podcast, but there's moments that can you know you can listen to it and say, "Wow, I didn't know that." So you know, it's it's exciting. It's exciting yeah. to be on this journey together, Yuri. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. So I'm, I'm loving it so far. So with then, I guess, with Venezuela being closed to the world in some ways, and, you know, but obviously there's some things that I've been able to, you know, come out, you know, even using, I guess, the great thing about technology is that we're able to connect, right? It's a lot harder sort of to limit the flow of information, but what is it like today? Because I imagine it's a lot harder for someone to start a business, but or even just sort of operate or live freely. But I, but I truly don't know. I can only imagine it or relate it to, you know, my own experience coming from the former Soviet Union. And I think that's true for most of us. So would you, as, as much as you're comfortable, would you share with us a little bit about what Venezuela is like today? That's a very good question. And it's, it's, uh, it could probably take about three years to <laughs> explain it. <laughs> but, you know, the, the most heartbreaking thing, of course, is how the, especially the interior of the country has been totally abandoned. So, you know, the Venezuelan uh, citizen is, is not a Venezuelan citizen anymore. They're second rate, they're, they're not considered, they're not taken into consideration. And, and I consider that also for myself, but there's people who do not have, you know, all that, that we have here, you know, like being able to connect and all that because uh, it's very difficult to get jobs. It's very difficult then, you know, we've had this hyper inflation. So it's difficult for your money to, to you know, last for even, even to buy food. Uh, hospitals uh, don't function, schools, they're trying to eliminate the schools, they're trying to eliminate the banking system. So it's this continuous um, digging under so that you fall, you know? And that's what's heartbreaking too, is, is a whole system of life, which we were a pretty democratic country. Of course, we are a third world country. There were things that didn't work, but technically for about 25 years, or maybe more, we had a working democracy. And, and to see all of that gone to waste, and like President Trump says, and I know many Americans don't like him, and of course there are things of, about him that I don't like either, and I have to always commend him for bringing Venezuela on the map 
and pointing, you know, the finger and saying, this is what's happening in this country. You know, there is no democracy, there is no health system, there is no security. So I, I definitely appreciate that. And from my standpoint, I really hope Mr. Trump wins because I know that he will come and really help us because we are a threat also to the United States. I mean, we have Hezbollah here, we have uh, Iranians here, we have the Chinese here, we have the Russians here, uh, we have the Cubans here. So, and I'm probably missing somebody. So imagine we are a country that has been taken over by five other countries. So of course, much less will the Venezuelan citizen be taken into consideration. So who cares from their standpoint about the Venezuelan citizen, you know? So, so that makes it very hard. And then of course you mentioned the fact that we have technology and we can connect. Thank God for phones and thank God for, you know, the, um, uh, uh, you know, like Instagram or Twitter or, or things like that, because some of the news does filter down, but there's a lot that people don't know. And even I don't know because I don't, I don't listen to news. Well, I don't listen to the mainstream media either, but it's, it's just, we are isolated. That is the truth. And it's not good. It's not nice. And as I say, I sometimes go through periods that I wake up and my heart breaks every day. And then sometimes I just need to step away from that and concentrate on other things, you know? So right. I don't no, know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, I appreciate you sharing that. I, I wonder if we maybe dig just a little bit deeper because I wonder, you know, and you, you hear that a lot. And I'm, I mean, obviously, I have my own personal experience with the fallout of communism. So I'm much more skeptical of any ideas of sort of that are being presented as, you know, social equality or, you know, things like that to sort of make things more fair. I'm always weary of that. But I wonder in Venezuela, in your experience, did it start out as just someone who truly had maybe good intentions, but was just misguided? Or, or was it always just no, no, an intent is, as a power grab? Yes, absolutely. It was all planned down to the last comma. You know, it was amazing. Of course, it was all lies when, when uh, uh, the man called Chavez uh, sold himself and of course people were wanted a change and he promised all, so many things which of course never happened because they always promise and they never come through which of course you lived in the Soviet Union so it's it's uh, it's a very um, uh, it, they, they create this illusion and of course we love illusions we love to believe that things will get better we love all that and and you know you can very easily fall into it of course uh, unfortunately, the man who uh, came into power as president was a very, um, or at least he came through as a very ill-educated man. I don't know. He was brilliant. That's for sure. But he did, he, he wasn't really, he had no background. He had no education. He had nothing, nothing, you know, and that then, of course, comes through when problems happen. Or, you know, as far as I'm concerned, it was all planned down. To the, to the last comma. And it's very sad because as President Trump has pointed out, which we sometimes forget, is that this country was one of the wealthiest countries in the world. You know, when the uh, oil industry started, when 
all the foreign companies came and created, you know, um, brought their companies. Venezuela's started companies. There were wonderful companies. You know, there's about, about an hour away from here in the interior of the country, there was a whole area that was only, you know, uh, industries and, and, you know, companies and, uh, I mean, you, you name it, it was fantastic. And then of course, way in many, many places in the interior. So it was a country that was up and coming, but it was too good to be true. And they didn't want that. I mean, people, so what we call the people who, who are in power didn't want that, you know, uh, to have a rogue country being, being successful like the United States, you know, so down it right. went. And so, so do you, do you feel that that, from what you've seen living there, that that played a role as well? The fact that Venezuela was doing too well and there were external forces that didn't want to see that, didn't want to see in independent countries? Yes, if I look back on it, of course, I didn't understand it at the time. But I remember a friend of mine who went to a meeting in, in uh, Sao Paulo or in Rio. I don't remember, but I know it was in Brazil. And she came back saying that all of these socialists had gotten together and created a working plan. I think that was 1992. I'm not sure, but it was somewhere around there. And she was shocked. And we looked at her. We couldn't understand what she was saying. What do you mean? They have it planned down. They're going to take over. They're going to do this and this. And I mean, and if I look back now, everything that has happened in Central and, and South America was planned there, you know, and they did it. I mean, for a time, uh, Argentina, uh, um, uh, Brazil, uh, Ecuador, I mean, you name it, we're all totally socialist. And then many of the countries in, in Central America, and then, of course, Colombia kept on with their uh, guerrilla warfare, which was no guerrilla warfare. It was trying to take over the country and, and then came into Venezuela through Cuba. You see, it was all, it's all like this, it's all organized. And if you, if you look at pictures of um, why all this all happened too, is because many presidents allowed that to happen, particularly uh, Mr. Obama, Mr. Bush, Mr. Clinton, you see them all happy and content with all of these people like Lula da Silva, like Castro. I mean, you have pictures with them. The Pope, the Pope, our present Pope has allowed that, you know, because he has very socialistic tendencies. So he went to, to Cuba, I don't know how many times he went to Colombia when the uh, guerrillas, which are called the FARC, became a political party. You know, and he went there the day they were, were allowed to go into their Congress. And you say, whoa, what is this? You know, so it's, um, and of course he supported these people too. He's, he's buddy buddies with the regime. He's buddies buddies with the regime in Cuba. So that hasn't helped, you know. I don't know if I'm answering your question. I think yeah, I'm going yeah. off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you, you're doing great because it's all fascinating. And I think it's important because we don't often get a first a firsthand account of what's actually going on. And so I guess with that, then I'm wondering, what would you say to someone in the United States, which is still considered, you know, the freest country in the world, although there's certainly some challenges now. And these, so what would you say to someone who's like, well, there's so much unfairness and, you know, the United States is not really free and we have all this social unrest and that maybe we should try something like socialism. What would you say to them? 
Yeah, and I would like to add something to the to the last part that I spoke, that it is my own personal opinion and my own living experience. Many people might not agree, particularly people in the regime. Um, so I just want people to know that this is my experience, you know, and my, my own uh, deductions of what has happened and what I've lived through. So anyway, and what would I say to the American people? Of course, remember, I've been a fan of the American people forever and ever because I did study in an American school and I was given huge privileges because of that. And first of all, because I learned English and I learned it very well. Um, and uh, I would definitely say not to play with socialism. It's a very, very um, tortured way of thinking and where the human being is really not taken into consideration. So if you think that you're lacking freedom in the United States, come and live here and see what it is to lack freedom. Go and live in Cuba, you know, uh, go and live in any of the, of the socialist countries in, you know, Russia and, you know, any of those and see what it's like. And also the social unrest you have is created by some third force, which I have no idea where it comes from or who they are, but that is not something that is spontaneous. It is all created. Every little bit that has happened has been created because the socialist minded people do not want anyone to be successful. They want them, they want everything for themselves and nothing for anybody else. So it's, it's that saying that says, what is, is mine is mine and what is yours is mine also. That's their mindset. So imagine if they're going to let you have anything once they're in power, you know, and, and for me, the Democratic Party in the United States, and I'm not an American, so this is my opinion as a Venezuelan citizen, looking out from the outside in, the Democratic Party is, is trying to sell you this socialist idea. And what they're doing is they're dismantling the family, they're dismantling your whole economic system, uh, they're dismantling everything, as they have done in China, in Russia, and so many other countries, including Venezuela. So. If that's what you want, wow, I don't wish it on you ever, ever, ever. It's very hard, very hard. And you do have freedoms because there is a system in place in the United States where the law generally works. There's a system of checks and balances, which any of the social countries, if you really look deep, doesn't have. And you don't have to look very deep anyway. It, they don't have a system of checks and balances. Everything is controlled by the government. They control telecommunications, they control the banks, they control um, you know, the health system, they control the food distribution because that's where they can get, you know, if there's no food, why do you think we have food lines? There's no food, they stopped the production of food. They took over all the companies so that they would produce the food, they never produce anything. That's why you have food lines because they stop the food production because then you have to worry about going out to find food for your family. And then you can't think about anything else and you won't oppose them. So really think very, very deeply and find out, study the, the history of these communist uh, socialist part, you know, countries and see how they've all gone through exactly the same thing. You know? So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. Absolutely. Perfect. Thank you. Right. Because I find 
if you have to force someone to act in the name of fairness, you know, under the barrel of the gun, then are we really living in a free society? Right. I just always, yeah, you're right. you know, always felt very skeptical towards this idea that you can socially engineer things or force human beings to act against our nature. Like all you can do is build incentives that encourage, which is what the United States has done so well, I feel like. And of course, I'm biased too, because I live here and I've sort of been able to take advantage of those, of that system. But that really created a system where the incentive is to really go out and take risks and create something. And then you get rewarded for it. And if you don't want to take risks, that's okay. But that means you're going to have less than someone who's willing to take risks. But I, and I think, and it's always been sort of, it's the oldest play in the book, right? For those in power, if you look back all the way to the Greeks, this idea of just divide and rule. So they'll find something for one group to hate about another group. And then they just, you know, just get us to butt heads and just attack each other instead of looking at really what's going on and looking at how we want to have. Because if you really truly want to have a more fair society, we can have it. We just have to start talking to each other instead of hate, hating on each other without really looking deep at the actual issues and what's really going on. So I've just always found that fascinating. And maybe it's, again, because of my experience of having come from the former Soviet Union, but to me, it's just fascinating. It's like, don't you see? But I guess it goes back to, to what you said, right, is the, the value of education is that history just isn't taught. And often it's rewritten, which is a whole different, that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> yes, yes, it is a whole different podcast. And, and yes, if, if uh, like in, in here in Venezuela right now, the issue is gasoline. We were a gasoline produ producing country because we have a lot of oil. And all of the uh, uh, plants that produce gasoline have been ruined. You know, they've done no maintenance, no nothing. So we bring in right now, uh, gasoline from Iran, okay? Iran, I said, you say in, in English. And uh, it's very poor quality gasoline, by the way. And so what they've done is then, they, you know, now the whole food issue is okay. And the electricity issue in, at least in Caracas works, but in the, you know, in the interior of the country, they spend many hours without electricity. And so now they created the whole gasoline issue. And so now we're going, fighting with each other because you know you go to the line you don't get the gasoline it didn't arrive in time and so then somebody very uh, intelligently uh, put out a, a chat saying let's not fight about the gasoline let's stay focused on what we want which is to for this regime to finish for this people to leave for this to stop and gasoline is just another deterrent for us to stay focused on what we really want and it's so true you know how they create these issues so that you start fighting and you say this and that and then you forget what the real issue is very well very well said and and i know and i understand that you are biased but it's good to be biased because then you can tell people you know this is what's happened you know don't fall into that trap very good point yeah because at the end of the day you have to look at what is someone's what is someone's real intention and what are they really trying to get at? And do they really have their best interest at heart? Right. And I've just never fallen for that. Any politician writing, including president Trump, like I can't say that I'm a, I'm a, a big fan, but when it comes to issues of freedom and free enterprise and just letting, you know, leaving people alone to take personal responsibility for their lives, which I am a 
huge proponent of, then yeah, sure, si sign me up. But you know, we're not here to really talk politics or endorse any politicians. But you just have to look. You just have to look at the issues. And you know, if you're going to take people's personal freedoms away from them, then I'm not interested. Right? No, I'm not interested in either. And of course, I live it, and I do. I pray for the United States every day, so that because really, what many people have said, and this is 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 no longer a political issue. It's a political. It's, a, it's an issue of right versus wrong or the darkness versus the light. And really from my standpoint, and I know a lot of people feel the same way, it is a fight uh, for you know, the good, for the good to, to come through versus all of this, this bad or Ill, you know, Ill thinking and meanness and, and, uh, and also, I mean, if you look at it also from a spiritual point, it is a fight of the light staying and the darkness just receding. And unfortunately, the darkness is a little bit too present at the moment, you know, and it gets scary at times. Yeah, absolutely. So, and do you feel like, Dan, do you feel like your journey sort of into this exploration of consciousness and spirituality has helped you see what's really going on in the world? Oh yes, oh yes. Um, it's it's very important to to work out whatever issues you might have. You know, as as it could be family issues, it could be personal issues. We all have issues um, because we're also uh, maybe as children until now. I'm hoping to see a change in that. Have been taught like you know we we are put into these little boxes and this is how we have to be, or at least I see that often and even with my students. And so having gone through the whole spiritual journey, um, I worked through my issues. And then if you work through your issues, you have space to look, you have space to feel, you have, you know, you're no longer maybe so scared and, and you realize, oh, okay, I'm scared. Let me work on this. Or I, or I can do it. Or I can, you know, you, you start being able to move as a responsible human being who, you know, is, is there and answers. I'm not a victim. You know, learning that, you know, the whole victim issue, I mean, the church, everything, governments, everything. I mean, this whole even COVID-19, oh, we're going to get the virus. Oh, stay at home. I don't know. And when I realized that they're treating us like children, stay home, take care of yourself. You know, as if we were three-year-olds, put on your sweaters, you know. And I said, oh, my God, they're treating us like victims. And I'm not a victim. You know, and that's what helped me with the whole spiritual journey is to realize I'm not a victim and you're not going to victimize me either. You know, I am a, 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 a mature or responsible or whatever you want to say person. I am my own person. So that's important. And that came through the spiritual journey. Yeah. No, that, that's great. And yeah, I find it, it's really fascinating actually because what you said about being treated like children, I think that's the thing that I have the most sort of aversion to is it's just not something I like a lot. But I think when people are afraid or when they're anxious, then, you know, this big brother coming in who's going to take care of you. I can, I understand the appeal on, on some level, but at some point we have to, you know, w wake up. Yeah. And that's when your whole process of maturing also is important is, you know, living each one of the stages that you need to go through. 
so that you can become a mature human being and you can turn around and, and use your voice and say that I do not want that. I am not a victim or, you know, I can do this. I, I can solve it. I don't need Big Brother. Thank you very much because Big Brother is going to make me pay very, very expensively for being Big Brother, you know, and, and that's awful. That's awful. Absolutely. Yeah, because that's the thing. There's a lot of hidden costs that we don't realize. Yeah. And yeah. by the time we realize it's too late. No. Yeah. yeah. I remember one, uh, when my mother died, I have a very wealthy nephew and he called me and he said, Oh, I know he's very intelligent by the way. And he says, uh, I know what you would like. You would like me to maintain you every month so that you can don't have to work and you don't have to do this and you have to do that. I said, of course I would love that. That's the best thing in the world. But what would be the price? I said, thank you very much. I appreciate you're even thinking about it, but no, I will go through life on my own, whatever it takes, you know. So I, I thought that was a, an important issue to, to really say, no, thank you. I don't want it. Too expensive. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, because our, our freedom and our, you know, will to choose for ourselves is priceless. Very true. Well said. Well said. Yeah, it's fascinating. I understand why people choose the easy way out and I'm just not... Because as human beings, we're designed to struggle. And so that's part of what, what our journey is. And when you take the struggle away, then we basically stop living. In a sense, that's true. And I think that you get to a point that you stop struggling also. And you just go, you know, you know how to flow. You know how to just, you know, take whatever comes in stride and, and make the choices without the struggle. You know, it takes a while <laughs> to get there. I, I wish you that. That, you know, so you don't have to struggle so much. <laughs> well, the, the, the struggle is real, but that's okay. Oh, no, the struggle is real, but you, 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 you use the energy in a different way, you know, so that it is more flowing, so it is more loving, so that it is, you know, a, a more gentle way than, than what also, they, in a sense, we've been taught to do. That, that, for me, was a huge discovery. Yeah, in some ways, I feel like I haven't had enough challenges. I feel pretty fortunate, actually, in the way my life turned out. But I also find when I, when I talk to some successful people, the question always comes up, well, do you actually need that you know, crazy struggle or that crazy challenge? Because it seems like most of the really successful people have had some sort of a crazy adversity in their life. And it's an overcoming that adversity that made them really successful. And that if we don't have that challenge, right, then we can't quiet because we're just too comfortable. I find that I, I have to, that's my biggest challenge is fighting the comfort. Yes, I agree. We need to step out of our comfort zone as often as possible. And, you know, I do wish that it's only one challenge that you go through. You know, of course, we have so many that come up anyway. So why, why look for them? And then, as I say, try work with, for it to be a more gentle way. That doesn't mean the struggle isn't there. That doesn't mean the learning isn't there. That doesn't mean that you know, you're going to stay in your comfort zone because life itself pushes you out of the comfort zone. You know, you can't stop because life doesn't stop. So life goes on no matter what happens. So, you know, if you're aware and you can step out of your comfort zone and go through all the whatever stages and whatever things, you know, life throws at you or you choose to go into, you know, I think, of course, that's life. It's just that, you know, uh, there's other ways to do it, I find, today. Yeah, and that's, that's huge, right? Because sometimes we don't even realize 
that the challenges are always there. Like we get too comfortable. I see that unfortunately in, in my industry, or maybe I should say at this point, my former industry, because I don't know if I'll go back in the same, in the same way, but you know, I hear the same complaint that, Oh, well, you don't realize what it's like. I've invested 20 years into this, but, and I, and I can relate to that, right? Like I sympathize with that, but I don't know if I fully understand it because the reality is life is always changing and every, it seems like every generation, if you actually look at history, goes through some sort of a crazy change or shift. And so, you know, we have to be prepared. And if you're not prepared, then you're almost going, it's almost like going through stages of grief, right? Because you hit with this loss, essentially, of a career that you didn't expect. Yeah, and, and I think that's important to be prepared because we will, you will be hit with something because that's just it, that's part of life. And, and if, you, if somebody comes up and says, oh, wow, I invested 20 years of my life in this and now I don't have it anymore. I said, yes, but who made the choice to invest the 20 years? Who is the, why are you being the victim or are you gonna be proactive? You know, it's, it's, it's a bit of a, of a overused word, but it's true, you know, I mean, uh, if I look at the economic history of Venezuela, we've been hit so many times, you know, and, and it's just an up and down story. The same with the United States, their whole economic system has been hit. I, I, I don't know how many times Europe, the wars, all of that. And yet there are many people who are resilient and say, hey, fine, you know, and just realize that was my choice. I mean, it was my choice to stay in Venezuela. And so when I start getting all silly, I said, uh, 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 that's not the way to go. You chose to stay. Okay, learn, you know, live it, do it. It was your choice because I could have gone years ago and I didn't, you see. So, so if we can all look at that, that it has been our choices, whether we like it or not, or whether we were conscious or not of how we made the choice. And I do feel have been 20 years in a job and now don't have it and were not prepared, did not have the consciousness, were not willing to step out of their, their comfort zone at some point and look back and see what do I need, you know, to change. And, and this is something that they are beginning to talk about in the universities with this COVID, you know, ha, change, oh, change exists. Aha, change exists. Let's put it here. Let's take it into account. Let's talk about it. You know, that's wonderful. Absolutely. And is that why you decided to focus on career counseling? Because it's sort of the next step right beyond college of really helping people figure out what, what they want to go into and what they want to do with their life? Yes, I, it's something that I had been asked often that if I could help them, help the students choose because they don't know. Of course, they're 17 years old, they're 16 years old. How many people know what they want to do? You know, it's like many of the admissions officers say, we only know the doctors and the engineers who know what they want to do from the time they're three, right? But everybody else has so many challenges and changes and, you know, different situations, you know, uh, jobs changed, uh, parents die, grandparents who are taking care of you die. I mean, you know, you have so many changes, the economy changes. And, and you know, so it's, it's um, it, 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 asking me that, then I said, you know, I kept having this kind of empty space over here that I couldn't help the students because I don't have the preparation. And, and that's why I, 
I started when, well, when a friend of mine told me about the course, I said, yes, yes, I want to do this. This is exactly what I need. So I'm very excited with that. To be able to help the students in an area that has, it is a, a very uh, nerve wracking and, and upsetting and frustrating area because, you know, parents look at, at the kids and say, well, some parents might know, but some parents might not even imagine what their child could be good at, you know? So if, if as a career planning person, counselor, if I can help, I'll be thrilled to do that. And how important is it to, to pick a career now that with everything we've talked about and with the world changing as rapidly as it has and, you know, these surprise adversities that are not really surprised if you think about them pop up? Is it a different mindset now in looking at a career? Because it's not, oh, I'm going to get this job, but I'm going to be in the same job 50 years anymore. That's just not practical or realistic. No, it's not practical or realistic anymore. And what my belief that if you can afford to go to college, what it does is that it gives you a platform on which to rest through, you learn so many things, you know, and it's a platform uh, from which you can then jump off to whatever you want to do, because you do have a very good preparation. You do have a lot of skills. You do have a lot of knowledge. And it doesn't matter if you study for, you know, for this, but then you go into something else. I mean, so many of my uh, banker friends when I was, when it was that time of Venezuela, we were, you know, booming. My banker friends were all engineers. And then I looked at it and I said, and I asked them, why, why are you here? It says, because it's numbers and I love numbers. I don't want to go and, you know, work in a, in a building site or whatever it was, you know, building bridges but I love numbers, so this is perfect for me. And they were wonderful at their job. But of course, they spent their whole life, their whole education in numbers, you know, handling numbers. So that's what I say. It's a platform. And it's, it's what I missed about not going to college, is was that platform to then say, okay, I've done this, 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 and this will help me to go there. You don't necessarily have to go into the career that you studied, because you do have a very wide uh, learning and platform to spring out from. Absolutely. No, it's really interesting. I was actually reading a book the other day on Wall Street and they have some of the smartest guys working there and some of them will literally study to be rocket scientists. And because of that, right, they're good with numbers and then they follow the money. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. And they have a fa the most fantastic training I can think of for somebody to be in Wall Street, you know, and, and, it, and, you know, you say rocket scientists, yes, yes. Because imagine everything that they've experimented, everything they've learned and, you know, and of course you need a lot of creativity to be in Wall Street and they have it. No, absolutely. You know, that's interesting, interesting book. Yeah, then what, what has been one of your biggest challenges? Oh, what a good question. Um, one of my biggest challenges is, is, is there's two things actually. One is believing in myself and, and, and knowing that I can do it. And the second one is picking up my courage and stepping out of my comfort zone and doing something, choosing to do something and going ahead with it. It's a, it's a constant uh, reminder. You know, I remind myself, keep going, keep going, you know, even if you're not happy, even if it makes you, you know, nervous or whatever, just keep going. Those are my two biggest challenges. So, and how do you sort of handle it or overcome it? 
<laughs> well, you, you asked me the question of, you know, if I had a, a, an affirmation or a little nugget of wisdom. And that's when I use that, you know, I, I go through the day and I do say I'm a very, very wealthy, very, very healthy and very, very wise woman. And then if it's a really particularly challenging day, then the, the varies get repeated <laughs> quite often, <laughs> quite, a lot of times. And then also uh, the way I, I do, do yoga and I do meditate and, uh, you know, I have a mala, which is like a rosary. And I go around, you know, saying a couple of malas and, and just, and then immediately everything just calms down. Because that repetition of something is very helpful to calm the mind. Because the mind gets bored, you know, and says, oh, I'm going to stop doing whatever I was doing. This is boring. And so the boring part then just, ah, there's that calmness. And I'm sure Allegra helps as well. Oh, yes. Allegra is my uh, golden retriever. And actually, she has now a podcast of her own. Uh, she gets interviewed. And uh, of course, the Golden Retrievers has, have such a gentle nature. It's, uh, it's a learning in itself, having a Golden Retriever. You know, because I used to have dachshunds. And of course, dachshunds are all active little dogs. And they move around very fast. And you know, all this business. And, and they're happy little dogs. And, and Allegra is ha happy in a very calming way, I have to say. It's wonderful. Thank you for bringing Allegra up. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of it's one of my favorite breeds. Ah, good. Yeah, I used to dox it for one of my college professors, and he had two golden retrievers, and it's yeah, it's amazing. Yes, and it, it's fun to have two of them together because then they play a lot because they're very playful uh, dogs, you know. So, uh, but I didn't have the space to have two of them here. My house is is quite small, so you do need a, a big garden or at least a nice garden to, to have two of them. Yeah, that's nice. You got to a dog sit. <laughs> I like that. As we sort of, you know, work towards, towards the end here, there's just a few questions that I ask most or all of my guests. And with everything going on in the world and all the challenges, what advice would you have for you know, maybe someone in their 30s who is feeling just stuck and out of place and not sure of how to move on in life? Well, of course, first, I, I, I would like to know what the circumstances are, but uh, being 30, and of course, I'm looking at it from my age, I am 76. The wonderful thing of being 30 is that you have the energy, you know, you have the willingness, you probably have the health, and the world is open to you. It's just Again, going into yourself and saying, you know, whatever I choose to do, it's something that, that moves your heart, that moves, you know, that is that, that or, or that pitter patter comes into your tummy, you know, listen to that, learn how to listen to yourself. And, and because oftentimes, you know, it's our tummies that tell us at first, you know, what, what really is happening, whether it's, it's good or bad. And so listen to yourself you know, learn a little bit about yourself. It's many different ways. You can, you know, just by running, if you like running, go out and run. That's a wonderful experience because then you have time to be with yourself. It's a quiet time, a quiet, it's your mind quiets down. So then you can listen to a lot of things. So definitely just think that you have your whole life ahead of you and you, you have, as I said, the energy, the health, everything, and, and just learn to listen and you'll see, you'll find your way. Yeah, that's great. And what you said there about just going out and running or just being with your thoughts, right? We have so many distractions now 
in this digital world that we've forgotten how to think, right? And, and I think that's huge is we have to, you know, connect with our own minds. Yes, and, and, and the important thing is to learn how to disconnect from all of our devices. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a job, it's a job. I myself don't always manage to do it, but, uh, and what I uh, do, uh, try and do is to turn off my phone and turn off at least the, the whole activity of answering, you know, the, the, the what's up and answering people and all that. No, I mean, I'll look at it and see if it's something, you know, urgent, but I don't answer after, uh, you know, maybe 8.30, 9 o'clock. Sorry, you know, of course, unless there's an emergency, you know, and the same thing. I turn off my computer. I actually turn it off. Okay. And close it. And then I use my iPad to maybe look at a, a very, you know, light movie or uh, something that's light, or I have a book. If you have books, since you're in the States and you can uh, buy the books and I'm beginning to bring my book to buy books again. I've been using Kindle for a long time, but I'm beginning to buy books again so that you know, off goes everything that's electronic. I have paid paper in front of me and I read a book. So get a book that's light. Don't start, you know, I don't know, chemistry, you know, at 10 o'clock at night. Just, you know, something that, that you enjoy. That's, that's something that can, can help you relax. Very, very important to turn off, you know. Yeah, and, that's and great so advice. At nighttime, very important mm -hmm. at nighttime to do that. Yeah, no, that's, that's huge. That's very important. I agree. And yeah, I, and I love, as you can see behind me, I, I love books and I love the physical. I haven't adjusted. I've, I've adopted audiobooks. I can do that on my walks. I don't mind listening to books, but reading them on a device, I still have a very hard time. I, I, need, I need the physical book. Yes, I, I can understand that. And I love that too. And also I ran out of space for books in my house and there were times when we couldn't bring things in. So then the, uh, the, the Kindle turned out to be a lifesaver, you know. And like for this course that I'm taking, the, the, the career planning, uh, the book is, is a, a big, big book. And of course, as a textbook, it's an expensive textbook. And thank God they have it on Kindle because I could, would never have been able to bring it in on time, you know. So that's been a blessing. And I've learned how to... to yeah, and I usually read it on the on my iPad, not on my phone, because it makes it a little easier. Okay, but I can understand you, and I'm very jealous that you can have your books. <laughs> Although I did have to, you know, pare down a little bit, so I, I try to rotate rotate them now. As as I read them, I try to the ones that I've read, I try to you know sell or give away, so I don't oh, have too many idea. physical books all at once. Oh, I can't let go of a single one. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, there's a whole library that I have in storage of all the Russian books that we brought, which I wish we actually oh. brought more because oh, we had two full wonderful. walls, like we had a huge library and we only brought, you know, a, a small portion of it. But yeah, I still have them all. And yeah, those books are never going away. No, no, I can understand that. How wonderful that you kept them. Mm -hmm. It's great. Good for you. Yeah, for future yeah. generations. Yes. For sure. And speaking oh. of the future, Dana, why are you optimistic? That is a wonderful question <laughs> and a difficult one. <laughs> um, because I think that to be optimistic is, all, is to be healthy. And to be optimistic, uh, of course, it's the, the old idea of the glass half full or half empty. And I've always looked at my life as half full and probably very full. 
And that's why I'm optimistic because things always turn out. Maybe not quite like I expected it, but I know that things will turn out because I mean, we do have an energy that is part of us that, uh, you know, pushes us forward. And, and, you know, you can call it divine energy, you can call it, you know, uh, cosmic intelligence, whatever you want, but it's there. And if that exists, how can I not be optimistic? You know, because that to me is magic. And to feel it, I mean, so <laughs> if it's there, you know, something good has to be true. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I've explained myself. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, that's a beautiful answer. Th- thank you for that. And then uh, what does success mean to you? Uh, well, success, I think, changes through, through the ages, you know, as, as you, you uh, go through different stages in life. Of course, success when I was very young was I mean, having a lot of money, having all these beautiful clothes, being able to travel, going to good restaurants, you know, all the things that, that you, you want when you're young. And, and as time has gone on, success means uh, being very happy where I am. And, and, and living that nanosecond to the fullest. And of course, if I can have money, I will definitely welcome it because it does make life easier. It does solve problems very quickly. You know, it does take care of health problems. And, and it's not necessary to have as much money as I imagined when I was younger. Uh, and I will definitely always welcome. So, you know, it's just being, being there, being able to look at the glass half full or full full. You know, definitely, definitely. That's success. Being able to control your mind, not allowing all of these dark negative thoughts to come in. No way. <laughs> yeah, that's huge. And who will Diana Kaufman be in five years? Ha! Huh, I will be 81 by then. Uh, I hope to have excellent health, which I very, I take care of. I hope to be able to continue to work uh, and, and help my students, maybe not at the level I'm working now, I don't know, but if I have the energy, I'll go on. And, uh, and I do hope uh, to, um, to see uh, the whole planet in a happier, more balanced place, you know, where we can all be friends, where we can all talk to each other, where we can, you know, um, make everything better for everyone, including ourselves. That's what I hope, where I hope to be in five years. Absolutely. And then I know the College Advice in Nanoseconds is available everywhere that people listen to podcasts. And of course, if you happen to be someone who's considering college and of that age, or if you're a parent of a student who's about to go into college, then that's definitely something to check out on all the major podcasting platforms is college advice in nanoseconds. There's some wonderful interviews, including one with Allegra, the golden retriever. So that's, I think that's my favorite episode so far. So definitely check that out. Are there, are there other places that you want listener, the listeners to know about or have a way to connect with you? Yes, I do have a, a, a website that's um, dkcollegecounseling.org and then I am uh, on uh, Instagram as uh, DK College Counseling and then I'm also on Facebook as DK College Counseling so you can get and of course I'm on LinkedIn also you can definitely reach me through LinkedIn 
um, and then uh, I think that's about it right now, you know, and, and the, you know, that's it. Yeah. Great. No, that's perfect. And we've put all the links in the description below. So for anyone listening, you can connect with Dana through any one of those channels and definitely check out the podcast as well. Thank you and very much. That, I just want to, I just want to say thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate it. And just want to see if you have any final words that you might have for the listeners today. Well, I'm just very, very happy and thrilled to be here and to have shared so much of myself. And I hope that uh, I can be helpful with uh, the suggestions or whatever I happen to mention. And and just saying that I enjoyed this very much. And thank you again, Yuri, for having me on your Awkward Mind podcast. This has been lots of fun, exciting, and really looking back at so many things that there's I haven't looked at that back for a while. So that's been wonderful. Thank you. Of course, it's my pleasure. And thank you again. Really appreciate you sharing your story and inspiring all of us to take a, you know, a closer look at our lives and really have an optimistic look at the future and to continue to learn. And with that, just wish you much success and happiness and health, of course, and may you continue to inspire and help students and the world as a whole. Thank you, Dana. And thank you all for listening. I really appreciate all of you for sticking around to the end. If you like what you heard, please hit that subscribe and follow button to hear more meaningful conversations with real people like Diana. With that, that's all. Goodbye for now. Mm -hmm.